This podcast is sponsored by Consumer Technology Association. Each January, CES takes over Las Vegas to showcase the next wave of innovation that will change the world. From a robust show floor to inspiring conference programs and lucrative networking events, CES is a global stage like no other. Register today at ces.tech. Hi, welcome to Remote Controlled, Variety's TV podcast. I'm Deborah Birnbaum. Every week we'll bring you conversations with some of the best and brightest in television, working behind and in front of the camera. On this week's podcast, we're talking to Betsy Beers, partner in Shondaland, and the executive producer of Grey's Anatomy, Scandal, and How to Get Away with Murder. So stay tuned. I'm Deborah Birnbaum, executive editor, TV at Variety. I'm Elizabeth Wagmeister, TV reporter at Variety. And it's my pleasure to welcome you to this week's podcast. And as our guest, we've got Betsy Beers, partner at Shondaland. Hello, you ladies. Hi, Betsy. How are you doing? We're good. How are you doing? Sunny Los Angeles. (laughs) It's fabulous to be here in the uh, fabulous Variety building with you two. And uh, it's a great way to start the day. Thanks so much for joining us. I don't know how you managed to find the time to do it. You know, uh, the the invitation was too delightful to turn down under any circumstances, so I'm just very, very happy to be here. Well, we're so thrilled to have you, given that you've got five shows. I think it's five. Have I lost count? Uh, I think we're um, in the process of making five. Yes, I think that is that is correct. I'm using one hand. Okay, good. There you go. The other hand's still available for another five. That one's just for development. Exactly. That one's for development. You've got a pretty busy development season. Thank you. Thank you for that. Keeping me for myself. See, always good. Well, let's start with Grey's Anatomy, because Grey's Anatomy is on fire this season. I mean, who could have imagined going to its 13th season, it's on a ratings resurgence? Um, Grey's Anatomy is so much fun. And I think both this season and last season have been just an incredible ride. And I think both for the characters and everything that they've been going through and the big changes and the fact that Meredith has sort of established this whole new sort of surrogate family with her sisters and the different relationships that are growing and brewing in the hospital and how for me also just continually the stories of those regulars, of the people who we first started the show with, how they can continue to grow and change and keep us entertained. I'm I'm always amazed and incredibly proud of what the writers and Shonda do. But it's so much fun this year. I've got to say there's some stuff coming up I cannot talk about, obviously, because we have this this code of silence and cone of silence here at Shondaland. But it's such a good season and some real surprises. Um, yeah, they're just they're endless numbers of stories in that hospital and they're endless numbers of adventures and situations that these characters seem to be getting into. And I think what's so amazing about the show, and maybe it's a credit to Netflix, that new viewers are coming to it who have never discovered it before. Oh, the most amazing thing is that we have groups of people, you know, I would say in their early teens who've started to watch the show. And I've talked to people who watch the show with their mother, who started with the show when the show started out, who then introduced it to their mother. So there will be generations of women and men watching the show at the same time. And that's incredibly exciting. I mean, that's just an amazingly cool thing to know that there's a new generation of people who've been able to catch up and binge watch. And we're the only show on television, which you could have started 
that long ago that is still going. So there are always fresh episodes to watch, which is, I think, an incredible draw. And I know for me, I still love watching it every week, and I work on the damn thing. So see, there you go. What is it about the show, too, that is able to endure all the cast turnovers? I think the bottom line with this show is that Shonda created and continues to create a group of characters who are compelling and engaging, and that for the most part, when you mourn the loss of a cast member, when Lexi Gray dies, or when we lose Derek Shepard, um, you know, or you lose George, they're the the audience goes through a process where the loss of the character is great, but you still have these other characters that you're invested in and that you can relate to and that are are there for you every week. So as I think characters die or fall away, other characters are able to emerge and sort of get into the minds and the hearts of the audience. And I think that's simply a virtue of the amazing writing because to me, what's great about Grey's is there's always something relatable about each one of the characters. And I find myself in situations over and over again where I agree with both sides, where I can see always both sides of the argument, or I really relate to the dilemma that April and Jackson might be going through emotionally in their relationship, or Owen and Amelia, or just the day-to-day for Meredith trying to deal with restarting her life and going on that path with her I mourn the loss of her husband, but I'm excited to take the journey with her and get to move into this new stage of her life. So I think it's just the endless fun and stream of of new characters and also characters that keep growing. Now, uh, you're talking about kind of the hospital being a fantastic story generator and new characters coming in. Uh, Deborah mentioned that season 13 ratings are huge. How long do you think the show can go on for? Oh, gosh, I hope for a really long time. I mean, it seems to me as though we've managed to keep going through season 13, and I don't think anybody's close to having told all the stories there are to tell. I mean, I have to tell you, I can't say very much about it, but I just read something um, one of the one of the stories that one of the shows and episodes that they're all working on, and I literally sat there and I thought, in 13 seasons, this is such an amazing idea, and we haven't done it yet. And I have to be honest, every time, and I get to say this, to you guys, because I'm not a writer, I'm like a fan who works on the show, so I have every legitimate reason to brag here. So I'm, I'm not bragging. I'm just proud of my people. But I have to say, like the number of times that happens, you guys. When I pick up a script and I think, how the hell have we not done this before? This is amazing. Where did this come from? And it's not just the medicine, because the medicine's always changing, and they're incredibly creative, and um, their researchers are great, and our consultants are great, and we have this amazing woman, Linda Klein, who works with us as an on-set and a story consultant and is a producer on the show for the medical. But it's the it's the character dilemmas, not just from our regulars, but from the guest stars. And the number of situations and complications which they continue to create and sort of revel in seem to be endless, which is really fun. Talk about Ellen Pompeo, too, because her commitment to stay with the show has really been tremendous. Oh, my God, yeah. No, she's, um, she's incredible. She's 
first of all, let's just take a second and think about what Meredith Gray's been through. I mean, that would tire me out, and I would have to probably retire after <laughs> season five or six if that were me. But that woman... That woman has been put through her paces. That woman has been put through her paces. She's lost numerous family members. She's died mm-hmm. and, and come, come back. back. <laughs> exactly. Um, she's lost the love of her life. She's had children. She's come close to being fired. She's managed to survive all all of these things. And somehow or another, Ellen, she's one of the most amazing actors on television because what I love about her performances and what I love about watching her as Meredith Grey is I feel like I've grown with her. I feel like she she has this amazing elegance and grace and relatability. And I think you watch Ellen as Meredith Grey and you always sort of understand how you're feeling in her shoes. And look, it starts with the narration that somehow or another you always feel like you're in her head. And Ellen makes that possible because there's something about her ability to dig deep. I mean, some of the, I think about Ellen mourning the loss of Derek right after he dies, you know, Meredith mourning the loss of Derek after he dies and that performance that she gives. And on so many occasions, her vulnerability and her passion. And I love watching Meredith when she doesn't know what to do. That's one of my favorite things from the very, very beginning of the show. Meredith always puts on this sort of presentational face that she knows exactly what should happen. But then watching her go through the stages of trying to figure that out is just incredible. I think I think Ellen Pompeo is an incredible actress. And I think it's a real trick to be able to sustain a character and keep them intriguing and growing and relatable and still mysterious enough that people want to tune in. And she is one of a kind on television. She delivers an absolutely brilliant performance. I always think back to that episode last season when she was in a coma, not in a coma, when she was unconscious and we oh. were inside her head. Oh, that was right? A, that was such a performance. When that, and that was honestly one of the hardest things to watch, I think, was that initial scene where you realize what's happening and the the brutality and I think because we all relate to her and she's she's been in so many situations but look I think I've watched obviously all these episodes and and different horrible dilemmas and all the characters in horrible situations and that had to be one of the most painful things to watch but also the great thing about that episode was the whole idea of being able to see what's going on and not being able to say anything which I just thought was such a great idea once again you guys like what the hell? How has that not been done before, right? But Shonda keeps coming up with these things, and the writers keep coming up with these things, which is why she's just got a terrific big brain, that woman. It's it's awesome. Now, I hate to even ask because we're just singing her praises, but Grey's characters come and go. Could the show ever go on without Ellen? Let's Look, to me, so much of Grey's Anatomy is Ellen Pompeo and Meredith Grey. You know, I think that the show is... The show's amazing, and everybody on the show is incredible, and everybody continues to be incredible. But look, I certainly, I can't answer that one way or the other, but I think that for me, certainly, there's a, there's a, core, there's a core component of her, identi- her identifiability. Is that even a word? We'll make it a word. We'll make it. Okay. It is now. There's, she, she's certainly a gigantic component to the show, I can certainly say. Mm-hmm. I hope she never leaves. Well, I hope she never leaves, and I hope, regardless, the show stays on the air for always and always because I love her and love the show and love watching it. I love the fans. The fans are just delightful. 
So let's move on and talk about how to get away with murder. Um, yeah. Uh, we love that show. I love that show. And Pete Nowak. I love Pete Nowak. It's been creatively on fire this season with a new murder, new case, new mystery. Talk about the creative resurgence that that show is experiencing this season. Oh, you know, Pete, when Pete first described what he was thinking of doing, I thought it was so genius because one of the things about that show is, as everyone knows who watches it, it's got it's got a very um, structured device to it. And the first season did, the second season did, and somehow or another he figured out a way to make the device incredibly fresh to me this season as well. Um, but I think that there's something about where all the characters are getting to this season and also we're getting to know and getting kind of backstories and more information about a couple of the other characters that we hadn't really investigated to such a degree this year. So we got to know a certain amount about Bonnie last year, but now the aftermath and sort of the aftershocks of that are happening this year. I think the amount of time we've spent in Frank's head has been relevatory, certainly for me. And the same goes with the relationship between, I think, Connor and Oliver has been certainly every time Colliver's together, I'm just both delighted and I'm rooting for them. And I've got a gigantic amount of investment in that relationship. And I mean, for each of the kids, for certainly for Asher and Michaela, that's a lot of fun, but it's digging a lot deeper also into who both of them are. Wes is, <laughs> poor Wes. I mean, like Wes is just constantly battling. He's been through it all. He he, and I think he and Meredith Grey could go right? out and have coffee. Yes. That should be a crossover. <laughs> Actually, that's. <laughs> they need a therapy session. They could sit down and talk about all the things they've been through. Because that dude, I mean, what he went through with his mother, the fact that he was trying to protect Rebecca and that whole thing happened with Sam. He watched this dude get shot in front of, I mean, a gigantic amounts of sympathy for Wes. So I feel like I'm rooting for Wes to have a good relationship to to have a little bit of time where he's not in trauma. But also just everything's haunting those guys. No matter what, whenever they think they put it away, when the cat's back in the box, the cat gets out again. So it's incredible. And then there's Viola Davis. I was going to say two words, Viola Davis. Viola Davis. And I, that's all I need to say is Viola Davis who kind of can do kind of anything. And watching Viola Davis as Annalise Keating struggle with her battle with the bottle is one of the more compelling things I've seen in a really, really, really long time. And she also makes junk food look incredibly good, right? She makes eating chips. Like she deserves an Oscar and an Emmy and a Golden Globe for eating a bag of chips. I'm so glad you said (laughs) that because I literally was watching a cut in my office. I'm watching her eat like chips I went out to the kitchen, I got chips, I went back, and I believe that we will be single-handedly responsible for chip sales going up in America. So hello, people. I like me some chips. What Olivia Pope has done for red wine and popcorn, she is doing (laughs) for chips. I totally agree. Mm -hmm. I think vodka and chips. I like to think. And chips in replacement for vodka. Mm -hmm. And there's there's an episode coming up where there's, there's some junk food involved, which is also pretty, pretty delightful. Well, stay tuned for that. Uh, now, <laughs> yeah, stay tuned, you guys. It's, it's pretty awe-inspiring. You know, there's a lot of cliffhangers with the junk food. The tuned junk food's for amazing. That. Yes, we knew we were going to get scoop out of you, so we've gotten the the, the junk, the, food. The junk right. food scoop. Exactly. It's like it, that's that's a big one. That's a big teaser. Right. Uh, now, the big cliffhanger for this season or the first half of the season is somebody is dead underneath that Damn sheet. Right. That. And, you know, we've been told by uh, Pete and by a lot of the actors on the show that it is a main character. It's heartbreaking. 
it's going to be really tough for viewers. Uh, can you talk about, you know, just raising the stakes and why that's important to have such a big moment and potentially killing off one of the main cast members? I think with a show like How to Get Away with Murder, when a show is called How to Get Away with Murder, um, expectations are pretty high that something's going to happen to somebody. And I think I can't speak for Pete because I'm not in Pete's head, but from my perspective, I feel like there, this, the stakes have been ratcheted up with all of these different situations that have come to pass over the past two seasons. And it's the right emotional time for this kind of gigantic bomb to drop for for the show, for the growth of the characters, for for the next stage of storytelling. And I think Pete's got an incredibly good instinct about that. I feel like in both seasons that both have very different tones, which is the other thing I think. Like Shonda, Pete is very aware of the fact that each season has a very sort of different feeling. And I think where for me last season was like more of a slow burn, it was a little more internal in some ways, this is more of a a rapidly growing frenzy. And in order to really culminate that, I think it was really important for for him to raise this, the emotional stakes for the characters. And I think for him that involved making sure that a character, that there was somebody under that sheet. Let me just put it that way. Is that Because there's somebody under that sheet, you guys. There is. And is that going to play out then in the second half of the season when we come back in January? I think that the, there's definitely connective tissue because as you know, with the second half of the season, it's always connected in a way to the first. We're going to have to take a commercial break when we come back. Yay, commercial break, you commercial guys. Commercial break. Cool. When we come back, we're going to talk about Scandal. Yay. This podcast is sponsored by Consumer Technology Association. C-Space is the CES experience for executives in the content, entertainment, and marketing worlds to understand technology's influence on our industry. Show floor exhibits, demos, and insightful conference programming illustrate the combined effect of technology and media. Come share content, creativity, and technology with other like-minded professionals and expand your creative innovations. Discover or flourish with C-Space. Register today at CES.tech. And we're back. Um, looking forward to talking about Scandal now. So we announced recently the premiere date. Scandal's coming back in January. Yeah. Looking forward to seeing what's in store this season. How t- closely tied is it going to be to the election? We're going to have a new president. Uh, we're going to have a new president, yes, both in America and according to last season, it seems like uh, on Scandal as well. Anything more you're going to tell us on Scandal? Oh, hell no. <laughs> That's it. We're just staring at you and giving awkward pauses because, you know, it's an interview technique that when you're silent, somebody has to speak and we just want you to tell us who's going to be president. By the way, I can actually confirm that they are staring at me with yes. like these incredibly eager and friendly expressions and just nodding a lot, which is super awesome. Right. Um, we're hopeful. <laughs> no, it's, it's um, I, I, I can tell you it's amazing and that the first episode alone... Don't do not miss the premiere episode back. Just don't miss it, y'all, because it's kind of amazing. That's all I can say. It's and everybody, everybody is at their best. The performances, everybody's always great on this show, but the performances this year are crazy balls. Is all I'm going to say. So that's all I can say about Scandal. Everyone knows that um, Scandal speaks for itself. 
Well, let's talk about the long hiatus because it's been a very long time since Scandal's been on the air and there was no TGIT programming block on Thursday night. So you spoke about the fans being so amazing in the world of Shondaland, and I think they've been missing Scandal. Uh, What's it been like to not have three shows in a row every week? You know what, for us, honestly, or at least I can say for me, it's more about the producing the shows at the same time because for my job it's we make the shows and then ABC puts them on a night and that's terrific or we pulled one back and that's fine too for me the the work level didn't change so to a large degree although our shows hiatus at particular points and depending on the number of episodes um, it's been it's felt like business as usual to me. Um, like the fans, I'm really excited for it to get back on the air because one of my favorite things to do is to watch the show and watch the fans watch the show via Twitter. Although I'm not a very active live tweeter, as um, my compatriots and friends on Scandal and the other shows have testified, and they're all trying very hard to get me more active. God bless Darby Stanfield, who plays Abby Whelan, who's kind of made it her personal mission in life to get me more Twitter conversant, and I think both of you are are much better, and well, you're journalists, right? So you sort of have to, you have to. Um, I love, I love watching the live tweeting on Thursdays, and I also just love waiting for people's reactions. So the thing that I miss the most is, is actually watching people watch it, and one of the hardest things, honestly, is that I, I do know what's happening, and I don't have any money to talk to it about. So I just go into the office. And I go into Shonda's office and I go, that was amazing. But, you know, we can only do that with each other for so long. And then then you guys have to see it. But, and, but you have to credit social media, too. That was such an important part of the success of the show. Boy, do I. Boy, do I. I mean, I think that I also credit, you know, Shonda and Carrie and the whole cast and everybody really deciding that that was a great way to, to make the experience and the viewing more immediate. And it's one of the great things still about people tuning in at the same time. I always say this, and I think being able to binge watch Grey's or any of the other shows or any of the sh- other shows of other people's I love is an incredibly genius way of both catching up and getting to watch TV in your own time. But there's something about getting to watch television in real time with other people and sharing that experience that I think is just invaluable, especially in a world where we don't get to see the people that you care about that much. So the fact that through social media, you can feel like you're having the experience together, I just think is delightful and still is an incredibly important and can be an incredibly important component of watching television. I agree. And especially in this age of delayed viewing where people are DVRing things, the ability to experience something live and have that OMG moment and watch it with people. Yeah, and that so much of the great thing about social media is that we're able to do that. And the bad thing about social media is the spoilers. So if you miss the data two days, and I think the interesting thing that I've noticed, and you can probably speak to this because it's your business, is I've noticed actually with the Live Plus Threes, for some people they actually hold off on discussing some things so that you have one or two days to catch up. So I know a number of people who are sort of, they're, they're not as aggressive on Facebook, for example. They'll, they'll say, okay, just just wait. And there is a big burst of a lot of folks now, I think, who for the first in the first three days do kind of watch it. So it's almost like you have a little bit of a delayed OMG, I can compare notes, but it does make it kind of stressful. Because if I don't see one of my favorite shows in real time or when it first drops, I, I, there's a lot of things I can't read. 
It's hard. It's hard to hold it back. It is hard. It is. So I want to talk about some of the other projects you've got going on at Shondaland. Yep. We saw the first season of The Catch. It's coming back for a second season. What can you tell us about oh what's God, in it's store? It's so good. First of all, one of the things I love about The Catch is The Catch is just delightful to watch. It is, it is funny. It's smart. The relationships are incredibly sexy. It's aspirational. It's like... It's like an amazing vacation with really gorgeous people where you're staying at this incredibly fun place and you don't know what's going to happen next, but you feel absolutely, totally comfortable and confident that somehow or another, it's all going to make sense and you're going to want to tune in next week. I, what Alan Heinberg has done with this show is he's just made this confection out of it is the best way that I can describe it. And the relationships are... The relationship between Alice Vaughn and whatever you want Peter Krause's name to be in the, <laughs> in the show, Ben. Um, the, the, the relationship between the two of them, the, 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 the ongoing hijinks in the office. Um, there's, I, it's like I don't want to spoil it because even going, like hitting the ground running when the show comes back, I think – it's just a tone that we all sort of are hungering for right now, which is just something which is delightful that you can watch, that you can enjoy, that you can experience that does not, it's a happy show. And I think it's nice right now to have a couple of shows out there that are just happy to watch. I think the world is a a complicated place right now and there's an escapism, there's a wish fulfillment in this show that I find to be really stress reducing at the same point it's smart it's fast um the plotting's crazy and the relationships are very very relatable and we have some really special guest stars and it's it's pretty cool it's gonna be good now another show coming up uh, i believe it's still untitled it is it's the untitled okay. yes shondaland project because that seems to be a be really really lucky for us because everything seems to be untitled for really long periods of time I mean, Grey's Anatomy was untitled. Scandal was untitled. So we're sort of like, just go with that. Just go with that. We could have called it How to Get Away with Murder, but it wouldn't make sense because there was already How to Get Away with Murder. Um, So yeah, it's untitled. And it is a departure for us because it is sent in 16th century Verona, Shakespeare's Verona, and that is the Verona of Shakespeare's imagination. And essentially what it is is it follows the time immediately after Romeo and Juliet die in I think almost everybody's familiar with the play Romeo and Juliet, and I think everybody's familiar with the fact that, yes, sadly, they, 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 they do die in that play. Spoiler, Spoiler alert. <laughs> For all of, you, all of you folks who didn't take English in elementary school or high school, here you go, or watch one of those great movies. So what's I'd make a cliff no joke, I know, but I don't. You yeah, can, but I, I got it. I totally uh, got you, the cliff note joke. with me, Deb. I'm so with you on that one. I'm just I'm cliff noting right in the back of my head. Um, what's really delightful about this show is that we follow not Romeo and Juliet for the most part. What we follow are the characters around Romeo and Juliet that you might not have paid attention to in the play, and like something like Wicked, where you take that story from an entirely different point of view. What's really fun about this is you get to watch what the aftermath was of Romeo and Juliet's death, what it did to Verona, and essentially this battle which continues between the Capulets, which is uh, Juliet's family and the Montagues, which is Romeo's family. And at the center of it are a young Capulet, 
um, whose name is Rosalind, and a young Montague, whose name is Benvolio, who are thrown together somewhat against their will in the first episode and are at the heart of the gigantic civil war which is going on in Verona. And the third part of the triangle is a young prince named Aeschylus who's coming to take over for his father. And these names will probably be slightly familiar for any Shakespeare geek who who kind of connect with, with the play. Um, but he is in charge of trying to bring order back to Verona. So it's it's got a lot of adventure. There's a lot of action. There's a lot of romance. There, It's definitely a Shondaland show, despite the fact that the period clothing is amazing. It's location porn. We shoot this in Spain, um, in northern Spain, in the most amazing, beautiful locations you've seen. And it's an incredible young cast of actors who could not be more delightful. So it's a really great way to tell a relatable story in a period setting. So I know in your role in Shondaland, you spearhead development. So what are you out there shopping? What do you want to get on the air? We have a couple of things in development right now we're really, really excited about. Um, one is a comedy by a writer named Liz DiCillo, which is about a woman who ends up with a very unusually created sort of family and the relationship between her and her close friends as they try to help um, with the with the the situation with a couple of kids. I'm keeping it somewhat mysterious because it's a really, really fun setup. We, as you know, maybe in Shondaland, really, really, really want to do a comedy because, and we want a comedy in the air, and we've developed for the past few seasons, and we have such a good time doing it. I started in comedy. I was a crappy comedian in New York for several years. I did kind of crappy improv, and then somebody woke me up and hit me over the head with a shovel and told me that maybe it would be a good idea to get out of it. So I don't um, believe it. <laughs> it, was, it, was, it was ugly, Deb. It was ugly. <laughs> um, but I, and then I discovered the fabulous world of producing, which I'm, I'm very comfortable and happy doing. Anywho, I love comedy. It was like one of my favorite things to do. I love watching comedy on television. Shonda started by writing comedy. She was you know, somebody who wrote film comedies as well. So we both just don't quite understand. And Shonda's funny, and the shows have lots of humor in them. So we really, really want something dedicated to that space. And Liz is an incredible writer. She's had a lot of experience. We were really, really lucky to get a chance to develop with her. And we're looking forward to seeing her first draft super soon. The other thing that we're really, really thrilled that we're getting to do is this series, hopefully a pilot by one of our writers named Paul Davies, who has created a show which takes place in the Mother Court, which is a sort of this this incredible institution that a lot of people don't know about, which is the federal court in New York. And it's a different kind of law show. It follows a bunch of lawyers, the judge, the prosecutor, the defense in this in this courthouse. And the stories that he's coming up with are wonderful. He's got an amazing sense of characters. He's been with us on Scandal for a few seasons now, and he is a delightful storyteller who's very smart and is also a lawyer. So there's a real verisimilitude to the world, and it's a very different kind of law space for us. So we're that's in early stages, and we're really excited to see where that goes. Aside from hopefully getting a comedy on the air, what are some other goals for Shondaland? Um, you know, I think for us, the main thing is that we we always want to make sure that the next thing we do is something that we both really, really want to watch and is something that is different than the last thing we've done. So I think that that was one of the incredibly appealing things of telling story 
from another point of view, from another time period. I think we're really, really interested in continuing to explore different periods of time and different different ages and ways of telling very contemporary stories in different contexts. Um, I think the idea of limited series is really, really interesting and a great fun way of telling a different kind of story that's more heightened. Um, and we've been trying to explore that world as well. And really truthfully, a lot of it's dominated by finding writers that we love and what they're passionate about. And when you listen to what the writer's passionate about and finding that kind of common passion, that's very often what, how the shows emerge and how the ideas for shows emerge. So certainly period, different, different formats are great for us, but I think it always boils down to the writer and the voice, and that's what we always come back to to the end. You seem to have nurtured a family at Shondaland where you bring up writers from shows that you've worked on and then kind of encourage them to you know, pitch you shows. How yeah. important is that to you? Oh, it's incredibly important. I think one of the largest things that Shonda and I are really, really committed to is trying to create an environment where, first of all, when you have a great person that you love working with, be it a writer, be it a line producer, be it an actor, be it a grip or a director of photography or an editor, the way that you can encourage them to stay in the family is to try to help them grow. So for numbers of people that we work with, we try to create an atmosphere where if there's something else they want to try to do, we encourage them to do it and facilitate it so that they can actually explore the world that they're interested in exploring. So you'll notice that a number of our actors on our shows have become directors on our shows. Chandra Wilson, you know, Scott Foley, to name a couple of them. Um, and Kevin McKidd um, is somebody else, but Tony Goldman was a director before we got him and just for the record, directed private practice in one of the very, very early episodes of Grey's Anatomy, which was called Damage Control, ironically, since he's now in a show which is about somebody who <laughs> controls damage. But that's just a side note and a fun piece of <laughs> trivia for you guys if you didn't know it. But we also, our DP Oliver Boksberg on Scandal has become an incredible director. So that's, that's on one side. Um, Mary Howard, a wonderful line producer, is we've expanded her role. Um, and then it comes to the writers. And I think almost every writer, hopefully in their heart, wants to have their own show and create their own show. So one of the things that we try to do is make that process as easy as possible. And what I think my job is with any of these incredibly talented writers who can have their own shows and hopefully will have their own shows is figure out a way to help them articulate what their vision is so that they can have the best chance at making the show that best reflects what they want to say to the world. Um, but yeah, we we have some amazing writers at Shondaland and we try to do whatever the hell we can not to, not to let them get out of there. So it's it's the fun part. And look, there's an amazing sense of a pride like a mother in a weird way to see like Pete Nowak and by the way you guys I'm old enough to be everyone's mother so it's perfectly <laughs> legitimate but I look at Pete Nowak I look at Heather Mitchell I look at Paul Davies um, it's Alan Heinberg who was ran shows before he we were so lucky to have him come and work with us I, I look at these people and how amazingly well they do and how smart they are and how creative they are and I learn something from them every day and that's the beauty of the job because I get to come to work and I go home every night and I learn something that I didn't know before. 
Um, talk about working at a broadcast network and the secret of success at a broadcast network. Obviously, broadcast is facing some challenges right now, but you guys seem to have stumbled on some kind of formula of success. Oh, wow. I, that's a really hard question to answer because, first of all, that's, the, it's the, that's our home. Um, it's certainly where we've, we've had our shows. I just think that we have a really good relationship with ABC and that they've been incredibly, they've been great about sharing our vision and understanding the kinds of shows that we want to produce and put on the air and that we've, we're, they're just, they've been, they've been terrific supportive partners, both at the studio and the network. And I also feel like in a lot of cases, we all grew up together. I mean, Channing Dungey, who's now obviously head of ABC Network, is she started at ABC when the first season of Grey's Anatomy, and she was our executive, um, which is amazing. Stephanie Leifer, who's been at the studio, has been there certainly since we started. Um, Patrick Moran has been there for such a long time. Um, it's, a, it's a group of people who... I think have made it incredibly easy to work with. And I think we all share a lot of the commitment that ABC has shared. From the very, very beginning, ABC, when we were developing Grays and Shonda wrote it as a colorblind pilot for casting, um, ABC could not have been a more supportive or more casual about it. So in terms of creating an atmosphere that encourages a wide range of storytelling and focuses on characters and focuses on making sure that the plot comes out of character. I think we all were on the same page about that, which means it's been an incredibly fruitful partnership. Do you think you could ever have a show on another network? Could you see that? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I think I think all the networks have something great to give, and I think that ABC Studios has certainly been very, very successful in, in forging out and finding relationships and good experiences with other networks. So we never rule anything out. Everybody, I think there's so many great ways you can tell stories right now on television, be it in streaming, be it other networks, be it on cable. What's great is the kind of story that you want to tell seems to have a home. If you can, because there are so many homes out there, it's incredibly exciting. I mean, I'd love a show on HGTV because then I could watch people fix houses and stuff and I, I could show up. <laughs> and I, I don't think it's on the top of our development list. I just love watching people flip houses. So, And my husband's like would love a cooking show because he just loves cooking. So we split the difference. I watch shows where people cook and he watches shows while people sell houses or flip them. So, there's But that's more. a whole other podcast, right. you guys. That's, There's some more trivia, right? Exactly. That's what Bruce and I do at home. Exactly. <laughs> Tune in next week. Exactly. Very exciting. All right. We're going to have to end it there. But thank you so much, Betsy. It was fantastic to talk to you. Thank you so much. You too. This was so much fun. And uh, now I get to go about my day. But um, I guess, is it okay if I sneal some junk food and snacks on my way out? I think it's um, perfectly on message. Because I think it totally is. Because I don't know, because the listeners don't know this, but Variety has amazing snacks. Just incredible. So yeah, I brought a really big handbag. So I'll be... be Stocking up on the way out. Potato chips brought to you by, you know. <laughs> and, and Viola Davis is in the kitchen, exactly. too, right? Yeah. <laughs> yes, I hear I hear some crunching. So <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Thanks, Thanks Betsy. To, thanks, Betsy. Thanks for listening to this week's episode. 
We'll be back next week with another great lineup. We've got the cast of This Is Us, Milo Ventimiglia, Mandy Moore, and Sterling K. Brown. This has been Remote Controlled, only on Variety. This podcast is sponsored by Consumer Technology Association. The Entertainment Summit, presented by Variety, showcases emerging technologies and popular themes in entertainment. See how pioneers and innovators of the entertainment industry are transforming today's digitally savvy audiences. Learn how titans in the industry are taking risks and snapping up opportunities to succeed only at the Entertainment Summit, presented by Variety. Register today at CES.tech.